You're listening to a sermon preached at Sojourn Church, Carlisle. At the very beginning of the Bible, we see God's good vision for the world, creation in harmony with humanity, and humanity in harmony with God. Join us for our series, Sacred, Genesis 1 and 2. Thanks for uh, braving the uh, stormy weather. I'm Greg Allison, and I just pulled off the greatest coup in existence. We got rid of Pastor Nick and Pastor James, and no, that's... (laughs) Neither one of them is here. So uh, several weeks ago, Pastor James asked me if I would uh, fill in and preach the sermon on embodiment, which I'm very happy to do. Uh, My wife and I have been coming here for the last couple of months and have been very warmly received, and we thank you for welcoming us into this fantastic community. For several years, I've been part of the um, Temporary Advisory Council, giving uh, launch to uh, Sojourn Church Carlisle, serving alongside of Norm and and some others. And uh, so I'm very thankful to be here. Uh, Will you join me in prayer? As we open your word, Holy Spirit, as you have inspired it, will you also illumine it that we might rightly understand it, and may you soften our hearts so that we might rightly apply your word. Help us as we think through this issue of sacred embodiment so that we might give you thanks that you have created us as embodied image bearers, and that you have even more specifically created us as female and male embodied image bearers. To your glory, and for the sake of Christ, we pray this. Amen. Over the course of the last few weeks, James has been emphasizing that our view of God determines our pursuit of God. Our view of God, how we envision God, determines our pursuit of God. And carrying on with that theme, I'm going to add a little phrase at the beginning of this idea. I'm going to maintain that our view of ourselves influences our view of God, which determines our pursuit of God. Our view of ourselves influences our view of God, which in turn determines our pursuit of God. Specifically, our view of our embodiment influences our view of God, which determines our pursuit of God. What do we mean by embodiment? Simply being a body or having a body. So uh, a question, is it possible in this life to be a human being, to be a person and not have or be a body? Is that possible? Brandon's shaking his head, no, it's not. So question, this morning, do you have a body? I checked with Moses coming in. I said, you have a body? And he, he pinched himself. He says, yes. Brandon, you have a body? Yeah, Elizabeth? You have a body. We all have a body. Yeah, all of us are embodied people, <laughs> which is uh, the way God has designed us. So how does our view of ourselves, specifically, how does our view of our embodiment influence our view of God? Two ways. 
We struggle with our body image. We struggle with our body image. A huge percentage of men and women today wrestle with how they are embodied. We're talking for women 98%. We're talking of men 95%. A huge percentage wrestles with how they are embodied. Embodied particularly in comparison with our society's perfect idea of our embodiment. We're too tall or we're too short. We're too thin. We're too wide. We're too fat. We're too skinny. Bad hair days. Male pattern baldness. Imperfections on our arms, our legs, our behind. The only six pack is in our refrigerator, not our abs. We got the wrong ratio of chest and waist and thighs. We're not beautiful. We're not handsome. We're keenly aware of and we're disappointed in our physical appearance because it does not meet up to the standards demanded of us by our cultural norms for perfect bodies. This may lead tragically to self-harm or obsession with our embodiment. Things like anorexia or bulimia. We cover ourselves up with our clothes or we may even avoid others out of embarrassment for how we look, or we may spend five hours in the gym exercising excessively. We may resort to plastic surgery, nose jobs, breast enhancement, in order to remake our embodiment to conform to the standards of our society. And ultimately, we blame God. Why did you make me like this? And if we view God as having made a tragic mistake with our embodiment, we will likely not pursue God as we should. Second, we suffer from Gnostic tendencies. Gnosticism is a big word. It simply is a worldview that elevates the spiritual elevates the immaterial part of the world, the soulish part of human beings above the physical to the point where we neglect our physicality or we despise the physical part of our life. The most important part is our soul and our body is inherently sinful. It's an obstacle toward God's work in our life. It's something from which we, might, we must try to escape. And so we only pursue God through spiritual disciplines, which are very good, but we don't take care of our bodies through physical disciplines. And doesn't this make it hard to understand why the Son of God became incarnate, took on a body? And doesn't it make, us hard, make it make it hard for us to understand that the Holy Spirit dwells in us as embodied image bearers? And don't we fail to understand that our ultimate hope 
is for Jesus to return so that we will be resurrected. We will be re-embodied in the new heavens and the new earth. This is the crisis that our embodiment uh, may plunge us into and affect our view of God and ultimately our pursuit of God. So let me ask you to stand for the reading of, our, of the Word of God this morning. You stand for the reading of the Word. And uh, I'm going to do uh, Genesis 2, 4 through 8. You don't need to put it up there. You don't need to put it up. Genesis 2, 4 through 8, listen to the Word of the Lord. In the day that the Lord God made the earth and the heavens, no bush of the field was yet in the land, and no small plant of the field had yet sprung up. For the Lord God had not caused it to rain on the land, and there was no man to work the ground, and a mist was going up from the land and was watering the whole face of the ground. Then the Lord God formed the man of dust from the ground and breathed into his nostrils the breath of life, and the man became a living creature. And the Lord God planted a garden in Eden in the east, and there he put the man whom he had formed. This is the word of the Lord. Please be seated. The context for this fascinating passage in Genesis 2, 4 to 8, of course, is Genesis 1, which has been the focus of our attention here for the last several weeks in our preaching series. It starts in verse 1, obviously, Genesis 1, 1. In the beginning, God created the heavens and the earth. This is an overarching general statement affirming that God created the universe and everything in it out of nothing. Verse 2, then, sets forth the original creation. It consisted of, of raw materials, if you will, that, that lacked form, that lacked shape. These original materials were void. They were empty. They existed in total darkness. You've ever been caving? You go into the cave, you turn off the light, you put your hand in front of your face. Can you see it? complete darkness, as was the original creation. And these raw materials were completely covered with water. And the Holy Spirit was hovering, protecting, preparing this original raw stuff for God's six-day work of building a home for all of creation, a place that would be hospitable for plants and animals and human beings, you and me. God's work of creation is narrated in verses 3 through 25. Pastor James preached on this. I just want to highlight a very interesting pattern that I find in verses 3 through 25. Listen to this pattern. Heaven and earth, formless and void, light and darkness, Day and night, waters under the expanse, waters above the expanse, dry land and sea, vegetation and fruit trees, the greater light, the sun, and the lesser light, the moon, sea creatures and winged birds. Do you hear that? binary uh, pattern 
this and that. This is the binary pattern with which God created the universe and everything in it. A pattern of two created things. God creates this and that. A created thing is either this or that. Remember that pattern. We're going to come back to it in a few moments. In verses 26 to 28, which Nick preached on last week, the image of God, just a brief review. Verse 26 is the divine deliberation. Let us make man in our image according to our likeness. Father, Son, and Holy Spirit deliberating to create a creature that would be more like God than anything else that has been created. And verse 27 is the actualization of that plan. God created man in his image. In the image of God, he created him. Male and female, he created them. Notice first that God created us as embodied image bearers. We're not like the angels. You may think you are, right? But truly, we are not angels, which are immaterial, spiritual beings. That's a realm that God has created, right? An immaterial realm of, of angels. We're not that. We are in the realm of human beings, and God created us as embodied. The proper state of human existence is embodiment. Second, embodied image bearers follow the binary pattern of all creation. We are male and female. God creates this, and God creates that. God creates a man, God creates a woman. What is created is either a man or a woman. Our gender, our maleness and femaleness maps onto our embodiment. There's no such thing as a genderless human being. There's no such thing as an ah-gendered person. We're either a man or a woman. And this follows God's pattern of binary creation. We're either female-gendered image bearers, women, or we're male-gendered image bearers, men. Which then brings us to our text, again, Genesis 2, 4-8. I want to read it again. You don't have to stand. Just listen to it again. It's good that we look at the text itself. In the day that the Lord God made the earth and the heavens, no bush of the field was yet in the land, and no small plant of the field had yet sprung up. For the Lord God had not caused it to rain on the land, and there was no man to work the ground, and a mist was going up from the land and was watering the whole face of the ground. Then the Lord God formed the man of dust from the ground and breathed into his nostrils the breath of life, and the man became a living creature. And the Lord planted a garden in Eden in the east, and there he put the man whom he had formed." Note the parallels between this passage and Genesis 1-2. The pattern, sorry, the parallels between this passage 
in Genesis 1-2. First, in both cases, the context is one of lack. The context of absence. In the case of the original creation, Genesis 1-2, the earth lacked form, fullness, light, and land. In the case of human creation, Genesis 2, the space lacked shrubs, plants of the field, those would be domesticated crops and plants like wheat and corn. It lacked rain, though there was a mist, and it lacked a caretaker, a gardener, a farmer. Second, in both cases, God's activity is decisive. In the case of the original creation, Genesis 1-2, the Spirit of God hovered preparedly, readying the dark, watery chaos for the life-giving form and fullness in a lighted land that would soon be created. In the case of human creation, Genesis 2, God communicates the breath, the spirit of life, the energizing principle into the first man's nostril by which Adam became a living being. How did God create Adam? From the dust of the ground. He took the dust of the ground and he formed it into the material aspect of Adam, his body. And into this lifeless lump of clay, as Martin Luther would call it, into this lifeless lump of clay, God imparts the spark of life, the energizing principle that actualizes Adam's material aspects such that he becomes alive. Do you remember the story or the movie Frankenstein? Dr. Frankenstein takes all kinds of pieces of bodies, head, torso, legs, arms, feet, and he stitches them together. He lays it out on a slab in his laboratory. Right? And to that lifeless collection of pieces, he puts electrodes on the brain, and then electric, he runs an electric cord up to the lightning rod. And then we know that, right, there's a thunderstorm, a lightning storm, and lightning strikes that lightning rod, and there's a charge of electricity that comes through that wire, and it hits the electrodes. And that lifeless corpse starts to shake. And what does Dr. Frankenstein cry out? It's alive! It's alive! What does God do? when he breathes into Adam's nostrils the breath of life, he cries, he's alive. He's alive. Two keys for this. Adam is an embodied image bearer. He's formed from the dust of the ground. He has a material aspect, just like all of us. And Adam is a man one of two genders, male and, fe and female. He's one of two genders which follows the binary pattern of all creation. But who? where's the complementary gender? Where's the woman who corresponds to Adam the man? Come back next week. 
Genesis 2, 18 to 25 will answer that question. But we will read, it's not good for the man to be alone. Because one of the two pieces of the binary pattern is missing. God has created this. And the this needs a that. And God will create Eve as the woman who complements and perfectly corresponds to the man, her husband, Adam. She, too, is an embodied image bearer, and she is a woman, one of the two genders following the binary pattern of all creation. So stay tuned to next week when we complete the story. How do we at Sojourn Carlisle live out our gendered embodiment? How do we live this out? I want to ask two questions and make some observations. First, are you thankful that God created you as an embodied image bearer? Are you thankful that God created you as an embodied image bearer? It's the proper state of human existence. The proper state of human existence is embodiment. And God's design for you is to be embodied. And embodied in precisely the body that you are. Precisely the body that you are. You would be a completely different person if you were another body. You would be a completely different person if you switched out your body with that of another person. And we would lose you. And we don't want to lose you. But what about after death and before Jesus returns? Don't we live in a disembodied state? Yes, we do. We die, we go to be with Jesus, our body is sloughed off, put in a grave or tomb, cremated, whatever it might be, and we, as disembodied Jesus' followers, go to be in heaven with him. And it doesn't get any better than that, does it? Oh, yes, it does. It does. Because we're not fully human. We don't have a body. We can't be fully saved because God saves us as whole people. We can't even be fully conformed to the image of Christ because he is the God-man with a body, and we lack that essential element. The intermediate state between our death and Jesus' return, when we will be resurrection, is a strange existence. Moses and I will be singing praises to God, and then we'll say, hmm, I wonder how we're doing this because we don't have a mouth and larynx and voice box. And oh, by the way, we're talking about you really look good, Moses, but you know what? You don't have a body. I can't really see you because I don't have eyes, and I have no idea how I'm talking to you. It just will be weird. And I think we will long for, we will wait for Jesus to return at which point we'll be resurrected and we'll return to the proper state of human existence. We'll be re-embodied with a glorious resurrection body. 610-285, dunk over Pastor James in his best days. 
That's mine. That's what I'm going to be. So we look forward to a resurrection, the re-embodiment, and a return to the proper state of human existence. And so let's care for ourselves physically. Let's care for ourselves physically with proper nutrition, regular exercise, restorative rest and sleep. Let's fight against the bodily sins of lust, gluttony, and sloth. And let's seek sanctification, holiness, not only in spiritual matters, but also in the physical realm. Second question. Are you thankful that God created you as the woman or man that you are? Are you thankful that God created you as the woman or man that you are? As the female gendered embodied image bearer or the male gendered embodied image bearer you are? Remember the binary pattern of all creation, male or female. So God's design is for you to be gendered and gendered as precisely the gender, the woman or the man that you are. You would be a completely different person if you were the other gender or if you switched with the gender of another person of the other gender. We would lose you and we don't want to lose you. Today, in the last 10 years or so, there's been a phenomenon in Western society called gender dysphoria or gender confusion. Though someone is a male, he senses that he is a female. Or though she is a female, she senses that she is a male. And they are troubled by the disconnect between what they're body is and how they feel about or perceive themselves. If you struggle with this, will you come and talk with me afterwards? Or if you don't know me during the week, seek out Pastor Nick or Pastor James. We would love to sit and talk with you. Finally, in the church then, men and women are to live in harmony and purity with one another as brothers and sisters in Christ concerned for one another, helping one another with our gifts, prayers, honoring, and so forth. In conclusion, are you thankful that God created you as the woman, the female gendered embodied image bearer that you are? Are you thankful that God created you as the man, the male gendered embodied image bearer that you are? A proper view of yourself, specifically a proper view of your embodiment, influences your view of God, which then determines your pursuit of God. Let's pray. I'm James A.P. Fields, Jr., lead pastor at Sojourn Church Carlisle. Thanks for listening. We're a church that is rooted in the community of South Louisville, And we are seeking to advance the gospel of Christ in South Louisville and beyond. For more sermons, 
info about our church, and ways you can support our ministry, visit SojournChurch.com backslash Carlisle, C-A-R-L-I-S-L-E. God bless.